have peace, children of God, because you know the grace and the wisdom of our Savior. Amen. Supply chains. Not a phrase we heard a whole lot before COVID, is it? But now it feels like we hear something about supply chains, this, supply chains, that, every day, right? Everything is supply chains. It's kind of been fascinating, this change in this past year, two years. It's been frustrating, definitely. It's made very real problems for some people. But also, it's been kind of fascinating, right? Have you ever had the opportunity to think as much as we have had these last couple of years about where our things come from, how they get to us. And based on all these experiences that we all have had during the pandemic with supply chains, experiences which you all had to deal with as you dealt with the, uh, the parsonage renovation before we arrived, right? All these things that kept delaying and piling up. Based on all these experiences that we've all had over these past couple of years, job market analysts say that over the next few years, uh, we can expect job openings in logistics, in the career field of working on and in supply chains. These job openings are just going to keep climbing because all over the globe, all kinds of businesses, companies, uh, groups are trying to protect that area of their business, their supply chain. There's a supply chain problem in our gospel reading this morning. Jesus and his disciples are watching the crowd grow. They're watching the day pass by. And Jesus asks Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Figure out our supply chain, Philip. Philip doesn't have an answer. None of the disciples do. Jesus does, though. He's a master of supply chains. He's a master logistician. He, verse 6, John tells us, already had in mind what he was going to do. Let's consider Jesus' solution this morning. Let's see Jesus, the supply chain master at work. Where verse 1 picks up, we find that Jesus is looking for some quiet time away with the disciples. They had just wrapped up this very busy period of activity, so Jesus wants to bring the disciples to him, regroup for a little while. He had just sent them out two by two to do some, some preaching, some teaching, some healing. At the end of that sending out trip, they come back to Jesus. They begin to report everything to him, all the things that they had said and done and seen. And they bring back one uh, sad piece of news, which oddly John's gospel does not mention for us. But when the disciples come back from this preaching, teaching, healing trip, to speak to Jesus, they bring him this news that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is dead, beheaded by King Herod. So we understand why Jesus at this point wants to withdraw with the disciples. He wants to mourn. And so do they. Some of Jesus' disciples, John himself, the writer of this gospel, some of those disciples had followed John the Baptist before following Jesus. They loved their teacher, this man who had pointed them to Jesus. Jesus loved his cousin John. And so they want to take some time to, to grieve, to be with one another, and then also to regroup and debrief after this trip out, carrying out the mission. 
Jesus wants to continue training them. So it seems inconvenient at first then that as Jesus withdraws to this wilderness place with his disciples, this crowd tracks them down. But all this is actually part of Jesus' plan. This is one of the lessons that he's going to teach the disciples. See, the supply chain master already has a plan in mind. He's going to provide for the needs of the crowd. He's going to provide for the needs of his tired, hungry, weary disciples. He's going to teach them something about who he is and what he can do. So verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Some Bible commentators suggest that Jesus asks Philip this question early on in the day, right? It says that the crowds are still coming to him. And so as he sees them coming, he says to Philip, Philip, what are these people going to eat when mealtime comes? They see the crowds coming. Jesus kind of puts Philip on task to figure out that supply chain issue. And then Jesus welcomes the crowds, sits down with them, teaches, preaches, heals. All four gospel writers tell us about this event. It's an interesting one. There are not a whole lot of events that are told in all four gospels. You know that there's something important happening here. In Luke's summary of this day, he tells us that Jesus welcomed the crowd and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Jesus does this teaching, this healing, and the disciples, meanwhile, are running all over the place trying to figure out what they're going to do to solve again, their supply chain problem. If you follow that reconstruction of the day's events, it's probably later in the day when the disciples come back to him and kind of bring their, their, their problems, their lack of a solution to him. Right? Philip comes and tells him that there's no way we can afford to even buy this much food. Andrew has had this small success. He found one boy who came along with a lunch. But what are these going to do among so many, he says. I always thought it was funny, and maybe you thought, thought the same thing the first time you heard this story as a child. Right? When I was a kid, I thought, why does this boy have these five loaves of bread? Right? And I was thinking something like five bags of Wonder Bread, you know, and then two fish. That's probably not at all what he was having that day, right? Uh, you should think of something else with a loaf. Picture something maybe like a, a flatbread or a, a piece of naan, something like that, kind of a, a small piece of bread. That's what this boy is bringing. Five of those, two fish. That's a nice meal for one person. Right? It's really not so much if you would have it split it with two people. Andrew's right. How far can this possibly go? among so many. But John already said in verse 6, Jesus had in mind what he was going to do. And now in everything that follows in the story, we get to see Jesus' logistical forethought revealed. He knew the crowd was going to need food. He planned to use this food. He had in mind what he was going to do. He knew the crowd was going to need somewhere to eat, so he picked a spot to meet with his disciples out in this wilderness country where there was still enough nice soft grass for 5,000 men plus women plus children to sit down and have a picnic. He has the disciples sit the crowd so that there's not a run on the food. He wants to make the distribution easier. And Mark and Luke added this interesting note. Jesus tells the disciples to go into the crowd and tell them to all sit down in groups of 50 or so. Again, to facilitate distribution, to make sure that this network, this supply chain network is distributed and evened out enough that it's not going to be difficult to make sure that everyone has what they need. This all goes off, of course, as we would expect, without a hitch. 
And then at the end, everyone has eaten their fill. The disciples walk around gathering up food. Those tired, hungry, weary disciples of Jesus, fresh off their mission trip, each walk away with a full basket of leftovers. There he is. Jesus, supply chain master. But step back from the solution for a moment. Put yourself earlier in the day in Philip's sandals. I was going to say shoes, but that might not be appropriate. Stand in Philip's sandals for a second. You see this immediate need, right? You've got the crowds coming to you. You know that they're going to need to be provided for, but you don't know how you're going to deal with it. You have no way that you can think of to make a plan for doing such a thing. In fact, a a plan is impossible, right? There is no way for you to answer this question, but somehow, impossibly, you seem to be the person that Jesus expects to answer this need. Philip, Jesus says, how do you think we should solve this problem? I don't know, Jesus. Why are you asking me? I don't think any of you have ever been asked to feed 5,000 people on a moment's notice. But I know that all of you have been confronted by problems, issues, difficulties, frustrations. And in the moment of that confrontation, you could not come up with a plan to deal with it. You did not know how you were going to answer that question. Some of you are dealing with issues like that right now. You're standing there like Philip in this wilderness place. And somehow Jesus is standing there next to you, almost mockingly seems to be saying, so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What can you do about your need, your issue, your problem? I've been calling Jesus the supply chain master this morning. Let me use a biblical title for him, which carries the same ideas of applied intelligence, right? Of planning. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is wisdom. Colossians 2 verse 3 tells us that in Christ are hidden all God's treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is wisdom in a body. He is planning personified, right? His very existence, his very life on earth was the culmination of this millennia-spanning supply chain God devised to provide you with a savior. But as the verse says, those treasures of wisdom and knowledge of God's planning and foresight and thought are hidden in Jesus. The disciples didn't know that Jesus was going to solve their problem that day. He knew. He knew the whole time. He didn't let them know that until the big reveal. In the centuries that led up to his actual life, The prophets who testified to God's planning, who testified to the fact that God was going to send a savior, they never achieved perfect clarity themselves in their own spirit-given words about him. Peter, who was there that day, tells us this, that the prophets, as they spoke, intently tried to look into these things to figure out what time and circumstances the spirit of Christ was pointing to. But none of that was made clear until the big reveal. Understand this. 
you are not alone as you face your life's supply chain problems. This is the experience of every believer who has ever lived. Every believer has been brought by Christ to these same questions about how can I answer my needs? How can I solve my problems? Jesus, wisdom personified, the supply chain master, is not singling you out to punish you. He was not singling out Philip to punish Philip. Jesus was testing Philip. As you confront these situations, Jesus is testing you. You know, there's a funny thing about tests. I learned this as a teacher. The way maybe you can relate somewhat. You as the teacher don't necessarily need to give a test, do you? You know how the students are going to do. As the teacher, you know who's getting the material, who's not, based on the questions that you're asking in class and who's answering them and who's sitting there like, ooh. You, the teacher, don't often need to give tests. You know more or less how each student is going to do. You know where they're at in your class. The test is for the student. The student needs to know where they're at. The student needs to see what they've learned with the material. When Jesus... Your Savior brings you to that testing point, asks you how it is that you think you're going to solve your own problems. Here's the secret, and he's already aware of it, but needs to make you aware. You can't. You cannot solve your own problems. Philip could not. Andrew could not. Even the boy who had at least enough foresight to bring his own lunch could not solve the problem that confronted them of feeding the whole crowd. Only Jesus could. Only Jesus did. Seeing how he did so is important. Jesus did not rain down bread from heaven. He could have. He had done so thousands of years before, alluded to in our Old Testament reading. As Moses and the Israelites wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, he fed them, raining down bread for them each and every day of that wandering. But there's a funny thing about us humans. That's often how we expect, or at least want, God to answer our needs. right? By just suddenly out of nothing, giving us an answer. We expect that more so from God. The miracles that we're more skeptical of are the miracles that look like this. The miracle is not where God produces something out of nothing, but the miracles where God takes what we look at as not much and multiplies it. That day, Jesus took. Not much. Five barley loaves, two fish. Fed a crowd of thousands. A couple of years later, he would have only a couple dozen, a few dozen followers, Jewish followers, after his death and resurrection. With that, not much. He brought about the largest community of faith that exists in our world. This network of of belief in him that spans, has spanned every, every culture, every tribe, every race, nation, language in our globe. Multiplied much out of 
Not much. From 40 or so sinful human writers, he produced this book, the Bible, that for thousands of years now has testified to his love, much out of not much. Out of water, out of bread and wine, he gives us forgiveness of sins, life, salvation, much out of not much. This is the way God chooses to operate. And I want to take those, those big thoughts, right, about salvation and all of these ideas down to, to our uh, level. You have difficulties, problems, frustrations, challenges that face you. And you stand there with what seems like not much against those challenges, those frustrations, those issues. Maybe, like Andrew, you stand there objecting, Jesus, how far is this going to go against so many? Maybe like Philip, you stand there just totally empty-handed, no idea what to do. Understand this. Jesus, the supply chain master, already has in mind how he will provide for you. And what he does that day, what he did that day, may exactly be how he intends to answer your needs now. He intends to bring someone else's loaves and fish into your life so that they're not much can answer your need. This is why we're called together in congregations, in groups of believers. So we can share our, our not much to fill the needs of others. You have seen that in your own lives. Whether that was a, as a part of this congregation or another congregation, you have seen Christians giving of their, their loaves, their fish, the gifts that Christ has given them to share with one another, to provide for one another. This is how he worked that day. It's how he intends to work still. And it's true for our individual needs, right? It's also true for congregations' lives. The very fact that our congregation exists in 2022 is nothing short of a loaf-multiplying miracle of God. He has given us all the gifts that we have. And he has multiplied those gifts. To him be the glory alone. Do you want assurance that these promises are true? That for, for our congregational life, for your individual life, these ideas about him providing for your needs, look to the greatest multiplying miracle that he ever performed to get that, that assurance. And it wasn't this. It wasn't this one. It was another event, another miracle recorded by all four gospel writers. That miracle. One death. The death of one man. Thank for all sin. Every sin, everyone's sin, your sin, my sin, paid for by Jesus. Now understand that you are a part of the supply chain which Jesus intends to use to distribute 
what he did there. The offerings that you give, the, the gospel words that you speak, the time that you give. You bring your loaves, your fish, these gifts that he has given you, and he multiplies them. Look out at the hungry crowds outside our doors. Look out at the people who need this gospel, good news, this bread of life. See your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family there. See yourself. The loaves that Christ has placed in your hands. Share those gifts. Watch him multiply them. Amen.